In this episode, you will discover why your genetics could be to blame for your IBS. Welcome to Gut Reactions, a podcast helping women to break free from symptoms, master their gut health and reclaim their lives. Here we talk all things IBS and absolutely nothing is off the table. I'm your host, Otavia, a nutritional therapist, and you guessed it, I'm an IBS warrior myself. In this podcast, we'll talk about the impact IBS has on our daily lives, how we can live well with IBS, and most importantly, how we could heal our IBS symptoms for good. Because let's be honest, living with IBS can be a little bit shit. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Gut Reactions. I am your host, Otavia, and I am so nervous and excited to talk to you this week this week about my deepest darkest hidden secret no it's not why i broke up with my ex everybody knows that it's how i quote unquote cured my ibs and therefore how you could too so yeah like i say this week you and i we're going to be talking about what didn't work when i was trying to cure my ibs and why it didn't work I'm going to be telling you what my breaking point was in terms of when I knew I had to do something about this IBS, how I actually quote unquote cured my IBS. And I keep doing quote unquote because you're not technically allowed to say the word cured, I don't think. Um, We're not supposed to, but I don't really know what other word to use. Um, But by the end of this episode, I'll be sharing also some of the most outrageous advice I've heard recently about why a certain food source should be avoided in for people with IBS. This is probably something you've maybe been told to avoid, but we're going to look at what that was and why it is so outrageous that this advice is being given to people with IBS. So hopefully this is going to be useful, guys. It's not often we hear people's success stories, and I don't know if you've ever actually heard a success story of somebody with IBS. I don't know if you maybe frequent the Facebook groups on IBS or you follow Instagram posts or you look at articles and stuff. Generally there, you know, there are really positive places on the internet, but a lot of them are dominated by negative I don't want to say negativity. They're dominated by people who are really struggling, right? Or they're dominated by kind of a sense of confusion or desperation, which is completely understandable. I know you will get that because you have IBS too. But it's not often that we hear success stories. And I want you to realise that there are success stories. Often when people have success stories, they don't really, they're not really in a place where they talk about it because they're like, oh, I feel great now. And they don't have any specific need to talk about it. Whereas when they're in pain and they're struggling, and they're suffering, that's when they talk about it and they externalise and they try to get support from other people. But you need to know that you can feel better with IBS and you can, quote unquote, heal <laughs> your symptoms. So... Like I said in episode one, if you listen to that one, I always had issues with my gut to some extent. Ever since I was a baby, I had, I was very fussy apparently with my food intake, but I always had some kind of problems with my gut. I know when I was a kid, I would have a lot of vomiting bugs. Generally don't remember any kind of problems with my bowel movements or anything like that or any bloating, but I know it was kind of my weak spot. I always talk to clients about having, everyone has a weak spot, a genetic weak spot. That might be blood pressure or it might be heart problems. For us who have IBS, it was our guts. And that's not such a bad thing because it's it's something that it's not always like, you know, it's not something that's super life threatening, but it is something that impacts us enough that we have to do something about it. Whereas if it was something hidden that was life threatening, then that would be a lot worse, right? Because the outcome of that is worse. So actually I try to reframe it in terms of I'd much rather have IBS and learn how to manage that and live with it and not have symptoms 
than something more serious. So, yeah, that's kind of how I like to put a positive spin on it. If you want to kind of look at it in a, from a grateful mindset, which I know is hard to do. Um, so, I always had problems with my gut. I had unknown tolerant intolerances, food intolerances. Maybe you have also got food intolerances. Maybe you've noticed some. Maybe you don't feel you have any. But what didn't work? If you think about what hasn't worked for you so far, maybe it is going down the medical route. Maybe it's trying the FODMAP diet. Maybe it's meditation. I don't know. Have you tried things? Have they worked? For me, it was the doctors. That was the first thing I did was go to my GP. They didn't really help. And like I said before, it's not really their problem. It's not their problem. It's not really their fault because they weren't told how, you know, they weren't taught about IBS. They're taught in states of disease. IBS isn't a disease. But yeah, the doctors didn't help. They did a stool test. It came back negative for quote unquote everything. They don't test for everything. They test for things that could cause disease. But because it's not a disease, we didn't actually look at the entirety of my gut. So there are things, you know, stool samples that you can do out there. I really recommend Genova Diagnostics, G-E-N-O-V-A. They do a very comprehensive gut health program, uh, test, sorry, not program, very comprehensive gut test that looks at almost everything in your gut. Loads of different bacteria, loads of different, if you've got parasites, malabsorption, inflammation, doctors don't tend to do that because that's not their remit. So I found it really annoying that I had this gut test and maybe you've had this, you've had this experience too, the absolute <laughs> embarrassment of doing a stool test and then being like, no, there's no problem. Okay, well, if there's no problem, then why do I have these symptoms, right? Something they did recommend to me, which maybe you've tried to, was peppermint capsules. And it was so long ago. It was almost 10 years ago. But I feel that I did see like a tiny, tiny difference. I don't know if that was placebo effect. But I felt that it impacted more my upper digestive tract. And maybe it kind of helped a tiny bit. But it was sort of like trying to put out a raging fire with a water gun. That's how it felt. So that wasn't super helpful either. I did used to take them most days uh, and if you have been through this too where you get given advice about oh this one thing will help you tend to kind of fixate on that and try and take it all the time and naturally it doesn't really make any difference right but alongside peppermint capsules the other thing that I was recommended was to quote unquote reduce my stress okay well I found that very difficult I had undiagnosed ADHD so I was very highly strung and anxious all the time anyway my life was very stressful I've been through several traumas and I was trying to live with IBS. I was in my 20s. Like I was trying to live my life and go out drinking and partying and doing things that now make me want to cry. But that wasn't something I wanted to prioritise. And even reducing stress. Yeah, cool. It can reduce your symptoms, definitely. And for you, stress might be a huge causative factor. It might just be a little contributing factor. But it just wasn't something that got the root cause of why I had IBS. Another thing that didn't really work was controlling my food intake because I didn't know what I was doing. So I was maybe recommended to avoid certain things, but again, it wasn't looking at what was causing it. So all of these things, they didn't quote unquote cure my IBS because they weren't looking at what my IBS was caused by in the first point. And what was the breaking point in terms of getting to the place where I needed some help with my IBS? You will all have your breaking point. You will have a point that you reached or maybe you're not quite at that point yet, but you're getting there. Or you're aware that maybe you might reach that breaking point where like, I need to do something about this. It's having too much of an impact on my, on my life. 
it's too horrible i need to make a change right so trigger warning if you're eating maybe skip this a little bit or stop eating but my breaking point was like i said last week when i was trying to put on weight by eating not eating drinking like 2000 calorie protein shakes three times a day with milk the absolute thought oh i can't even i can't even the thought of drinking milk now and the thought of drinking it three times a day in milk containing protein powders it's just it's just too much but i distinctly remember if you're in the u.s maybe you you probably know downton abbey right it's a period drama very very popular i remember being on a break from work and i was sat at home watching tv downing a protein shake and all of a sudden i felt like i was drunk i was like why the room spinning what's going on and oh my jesus never in my life have i experienced this thank god since then but i had it felt like my entire intestines and my stomach were on fire it was horrendous and about 10 minutes later i was on the loo for a long time but it didn't stop there because i would have experiences where i ate maybe some toffee popcorn and then i was triggered obviously it had lactose in it didn't realize i had basically given myself or sped up my lactose intolerance because i'd had so much milk and yes that wasn't necessarily ibs in itself it was ibs caused by a certain food but because of the damage that it had done i then had triggered ibs to continue even after i i stopped having milk so because of the damage that it caused right because i was intolerant to it and i'd had so much of it that it caused that gut inflammation that we were talking about last week so this meant that other foods became off limits i then ended up developing gluten intolerance which i learned in uni was a genetic thing i was always going to develop that at some point it was in my genes it was just a case of when but because they came on later in life in my 20s like i say it felt a bit strange like people say to me how can you just suddenly get an intolerance well it's because if i put it this way if you have the same gene as i do which was basically determining that i will develop non-celiac so non-autoimmune but gluten intolerance syndrome you will get it at some point but the the time that that comes on just depends on how much gluten you eat so if i never ate gluten i could go my whole life and then suddenly get it at the age of 80 but because i ate so much gluten so early in my life it brought it on a lot more quickly but what happened there was it just really impacted my relationship with food and therefore with socializing going out going on dates my confidence just feeling very controlled by my gut and it's just not the one we don't want to be controlled by our guts i remember being asked out on a date by this guy in a restaurant who was actually the chef and i agreed to meet him a couple of hours later oh my god if you if your ibs is triggered by stress you will know this feeling but it was horrendous that the ibs trigger was so bad just from being asked out on a date but i was just a little bit stressed and a bit nervous like you would be but my gut was just so weak that it was just yeah it wasn't the one we won't go into details guys because uh yeah you don't need to listen to that but that being said how did i quote unquote cure my ibs how can you do how can you do that right obviously like i say use the term cure loosely because it's not really a word that we tend to use of ibs but this is also something that i can relapse into so i'm not going to lie to you guys like sometimes i have a relapse into ibs symptoms and i know why that is and we will talk about why that is in other episodes but it's something that i tend to manage and live mostly in recovery from but there are definitely times when it crops up it rears its little ugly head usually 
that's when I'm not looking after my gut, when I'm really, really stressed. If I drink too much alcohol, I don't really tend to drink anymore anyway. But when I do, you know, there are certain things that can bring me back into kind of like a gut, gut relapse, as I call it. But recognising my genetic weak spot that I mentioned, this is something that was really crucial for me because I had to realise and respect the fact that to heal my issue, I had to respect the fact that I had a gut problem in the first place, right? So all the time we're working against it, we kind of assume that our body should just work. And it's quite a kind of, not consciously, but it's quite an arrogant place that we come from. We don't mean it consciously, we're not arrogant people, but we have this assumption that we should just be healthy but when I had you know when I accepted that my gut was my genetic weak spot and it was just struggling and I needed to give it extra care and attention that was a crucial turning point for me and it will be for you too because as soon as you start to understand and hear your gut and recognize okay my gut's telling me it's really struggling with something and I need to look after it and find out what's going on you stop working against it and you start working with it that's the turning point because it changes everything it changes how you relate to your gut how you relate to your symptoms absolutely everything it puts you in a place of empowerment rather than disempowerment you're not victimized by your gut like let's do a mean girls thing raise your hand if you've ever felt personally victimized by regina george or your gut and ibs symptoms <laughs> i'm raising my hand are you but yeah you have to learn to work with it is kind of my point but how i really kind of quote unquote cured or got into recovery with my ibs was understanding my gut and all the things we talked about last week so my gut microbiome the bacterial balance in my gut my digestion so i really noticed that when i was at work and i worked in a recovery hostel for people with drug and alcohol problems i would have to work there until 11 p.m. sometimes and i would have to eat on shift in the actual premises and it'd be such a high stress environment I would be eating under such stress that I've got acid reflux because I wasn't resting. My body wasn't in a state to be receiving food. My stomach acid was probably really low. So I wasn't digesting the food. All the stuff we spoke about last week. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, go back and have a listen. You'll know what I'm talking about. But yeah, those things like stress and inability to digest when I was under stress. Once I recognised that, then I could consciously decide to relax and know when I was going to eat you know just giving myself even just sometimes it's just as much as two minutes before eating a meal to feel fully relaxed but also identifying food intolerances so I did some food intolerance testing with Cambridge Analytica or Cambridge Nutritional Sciences which you can find online they were really good and I just cut those foods out for a while while I did things like repair my gut with some probiotics or something to reduce the inflammation. We're not talking about pharmaceuticals here. We're talking about natural alternatives. So things that help to soothe the inflammation. That could be something like, I mean, you probably have to work with nutritionists for this. But for me, it was something like aloe vera juice that can be quite potent. So don't take that without being, you know, cared for by a practitioner. But just something to reduce the inflammation. But practically, practically identifying food intolerances is a must, I would say looking at your gut microbiome, looking at probiotics. But some really useful advice for me, and this is probably one of the things that changed my bloating situation. So if you struggle with bloating, this was really, really useful for me. I had 12 hours away from food, from my last meal of the day to my first meal of the day. So I would have really bad bloating all through COVID. It came back and I thought, you know, obviously I'm really stressed and we're not moving as much as we could before because we're in lockdown. But why am I so bloated? And that's when I spoke to my friend who is also a gut health specialist and said, you know, I just don't really get it. And she said, it's because you're not having 12 hours away from food. 
So, you know, that was four years ago now and it's something I always go back to use. I'll have dinner and finish eating at 8pm and I won't eat till 8am. That personally works really well for me. Maybe you can't do that because you have underlying health conditions, you need to eat more regularly or you just can't do that. But if you can just have as long a, a longer time away from food between your last meal and your first meal of the days, that just gives your gut time to rest and repair because every time that we're eating, we're putting our guts under some kind of stress, right? It's trying to digest and it's trying to manage and then it's maybe causing inflammation, stuff like that. But if you can have some time away from food, great. It's going to give your gut some time to repair. And personally, for me, that was a massive game changer along with regular exercise because it helped to regulate my bloating. Obviously in COVID, we couldn't really do that, right? There's no excuse now. <laughs> I have to do it. Um, but how do I manage it now? How can you manage it now? Now I definitely know my triggers and I can make informed choices rather than feeling controlled by them. So I know if I eat past 8pm, I will probably be a bit bloated in the morning. If I do that regularly, I will start to get really bloated regularly. I make that decision and you can make that decision. Once you start to identify your, what your triggers are, what that does, like I said, it puts you in the state of empowerment, not disempowerment. You can decide, okay, I know this food bloats me. I'm going to have it because I'm out having a birthday meal and I'm just going to live with the consequences. But you've decided to do that. So when it happens, you're prepared for it. You don't feel so confused and disempowered. So <laughs> I remember around six years ago, after I'd had really bad bloating for ages and I thought maybe this is just how my stomach's meant to be. I did a protocol which was looking at gut cleanse where I looked at probiotics and the allergies and different things specifically formulated for me, which is why it's so good to work with a nutritionist, right? The first time I woke up and had what I felt was a genuinely flat stomach, you know, when you have bloating, you don't ever feel like you're fully empty in your gut. You feel like there's something always there. The first time I woke up and didn't have that feeling and felt, oh, yeah, my stomach is genuinely empty and it should be because I haven't eaten for over 12 hours. That was so liberating. And that's something you can experience too. It's just starting to understand what your specific triggers are. Maybe you've tried probiotics and they haven't worked, but what kind have you tried? Have you worked with a practitioner? Have you spoken to a supplement company like OptiBac who specifically formulate probiotics for certain issues like bloating or diarrhea? They have targeted probiotics, right? Maybe you haven't tried that. Maybe you have. Maybe it's food intolerances. That's the thing. There can be these different causes, right? But the more that you start to identify your triggers, it becomes on your terms, not on your tummy's terms. So you can get to this point too. Maybe just focus on one thing. Maybe just start saving up for a food intolerance test. And then you can see what that comes back with. It doesn't have to be something you do overnight, but it is something that you can achieve. And like I say, if you can work with a nutritional therapist or a holistic practitioner, definitely definitely recommend it so that being said what is the outrageous advice <laughs> what is the outrageous advice that I have heard recently that people with IBS have maybe been told that is not specifically true so I saw this advice recently that was that if you have IBS you don't have to avoid sugar it's not something that will trigger your IBS you can eat sugar there's no problem with it and this just really, really annoyed me. And I found it really hard to hold my tongue because how can you say that? You don't know what that person's cause is, right? The reason why this kind of advice, you should always approach with a bit of trepidation, curiosity, ask questions like, okay, why is that? But not take for granted as being a fundamental truth is because this person is talking in a complete general sense. Okay, maybe they're saying that there's been no specific scientific studies into how 
sugar causes IBS. But unless you know what your IBS is caused by, you don't know what's going to be a trigger, right? So if you have a candida overgrowth or you have a bacterial overgrowth, I was recently on holiday with a friend, I'm sure she won't mind me saying, she has candida overgrowth, which is a yeast infection, right, in her gut. And she's specifically been told, you cannot eat sugar. As soon as you eat sugar, it will make you bloat, it will make you ill. And sure enough, when she eats sugar, it happens. So that's just really outrageous advice to be given people because you don't know what that person's cause is. So this is why we're going to be so intent on talking about finding your cause, okay? Sugar can feed nasty bacteria or inflammation in the gut, even if you don't have candida overgrowth. So that doesn't mean that everybody with IBS needs to <laughs> avoid sugar. That's definitely not the truth. For some people, it have not really have an impact on your symptoms. But the reason it's outrageous advice is because, like I say, you don't know what's causing that person's symptoms. So I really, really hope that this episode was useful and hearing my story was useful and hearing how, you know, where I was before versus where I am now and therefore where you can get to too. And I don't know if I kind of mentioned this enough in, in the episode, but this wasn't something that happened to me overnight. This is something that I worked on every day, every week, every month. And I still do. Like I say, sometimes I relapse back into symptoms. So if you have some kind of pressure to want to feel that you found the answer now, like, honey, it's not going to happen that quickly, okay? It's okay that you have these symptoms and we can look at how you can manage those symptoms, but let's start to identify what could be going on. But it's not something that's going to happen overnight. It's the actions that you take every day, every week, every month. And then one day you wake up and you're like, oh my God, I haven't bloated in 10 days. What? It, that's how it happens okay it's a slow process it's a marathon not a sprint unfortunately for us but I hope that it was helpful to hear my story hear about what didn't work and why and also what my breaking point was and how I therefore <laughs> quote unquote cured my IBS and if you found this episode useful you found it enjoyable do me a favor rate review and subscribe to this podcast it really really helps with getting the word of the podcast out there if you could give me five stars I'd be forever in your debt if you could give me a really nice little review talking up the podcast I'd appreciate it even more and it's been so great talking with you again I cannot wait to speak to you again more next week and I will see you then have a great week